We are continuing on our fall sermon series, and you may want to venture a guess which commandment this is. And don't think just because the scripture readings were short that that has anything to do with the sermon. We are moving from what was the first tablet to the second tablet of the Ten Commandments. We're moving from what would be considered the vertical to the horizontal. Because we're moving from our love of the Lord, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to the second phase of who we are as believers, and that is love your neighbors yourself. And if we really understand that loving God the way God intends for us to love him, with the whole of our being, will result in how we treat our neighbor. And at the number one position of, and who is my neighbor? Not trying to really think about the extreme far away, but thinking about the one closest to home. The first neighbor you encounter, as you begin to grow in your faith as a child, is your parents. And so when you begin to think about this whole notion of love your neighbors yourself in Leviticus 19, you may want to back up just a few verses. Let me read to you from Leviticus 19 because it's really, really fascinating what comes in the earlier part. Leviticus 19.18 is love your neighbors yourself. But let me read to you from verse 3. You shall be holy, for the Lord your God is holy. Now, the first thing that you encounter when you begin to read Leviticus 19 is this whole notion about if God is holy, that means that I need to be like him. And if I'm really loving him and seeking to obey his commandments, which is what Jesus says in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, that we begin to reflect his holiness that we begin to become more and more like him in his love, which is holy. And if his love is holy, it has backbone, it has strength, you can count on it. There's a consistency there that we need to have, that we're not always good at. And so we grow in the knowledge and love of him and rely more and more on the Holy Spirit, and then we are able to begin to love more as he loves. And it's a holy love. And the very first thing that it says in Leviticus 19 after that you shall each revere your mother and father. That's the very first thing that's said after that. Revere your father and your mother. And I love that word revere because it's almost, in some ways, more powerful than the word honor. Because when you revere someone, and and it's why oftentimes parents are put on a pedestal until children become teenagers. They're put on a pedestal. You know, that seems to be the reality. I mean, children in many ways are in awe of their parents, particularly when they're younger. And so there's not only this honoring, this sense of honoring, there's this sense of revering them. And then we go on to read, you know, love your neighbors yourself. So you get this sense of, even before that, even before you begin to think about your neighbor, and in a sense, the very top of the list, of neighbor is your parents 
And we're told in Scripture that this is the first commandment with a promise. That if you really love your parents, and we see this actually in the Old Testament, and Jesus says it, and Paul says it, that you'll live long and prosper. You know, one of the jokes that I like to say about that is your parents won't kill you, but that's really not what it means. Live long and prosper really has to do with you, it's, you experience a richness to your life, a prosperity to your life. And really, when we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, this living long and prospering actually extends into eternity. And he's our heavenly father. We pray our father. But let's back up a minute. You'll live long and you'll prosper. Almost sounds like Star Trek. But it has to do with the fact that we will experience richness. And let me explain what I mean by that. That the word for, the word for rich in Hebrew means heavy. Some of you have heard me teach on this before. That you were heavy, or there was a heaviness to you, because back in those days, being rich meant you had a lot of possessions. So you had a lot of weight you were carrying around whenever you'd move anywhere because all of your investment was in possessions, things. And so to be rich was to be heavy. Well, it's really interesting because one of the nuances of the word honor in Hebrew is weight. That there's a weightiness that we assign to this person. So really what you connect is that, you know, if you will, if you're rich, then you're heavy. And if you honor someone, there's weight that it's connected. That there's a richness. To, there's meant to be a richness in my relationship with God. There's meant to be a richness in my relationship with my parents, my attitude towards them. That they have a weighty place in my life. Their words carry weight with me. That God's word carries weight with me if I'm really going to understand what it means to honor. And so in tackling this word honor, I want to think about it in several different ways. First of all, respect and love. God's kind of love. And obedience. Because I really believe when it comes to the Lord, all of those are connected. And if that is true of the Lord, as Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I and the Father are one. So when we connect Jesus to the Father, it means obedience. And that's what love looks like. And there's a respect there naturally because of who he is. That we carry that over to the parents. Because the first picture of God and who God is when children are being raised in the faith is their parents. They're looking to their parents. What does it mean to love God? What does it mean to be honorable, to be honest, to be trustworthy? What does it mean to live a holy life if God is holy? All of those questions that are subconscious begin to come out as we begin to understand that these parents, and one of the reasons we put them on a pedestal when we're young, is because they represent God to us. They guide us, they protect us. It's God's role. So it's important to keep that in mind. 
that there's a natural connection there. And I'm afraid what's happening today, it's not only that children are losing that sense of honor and respect, it's that parents are abdicating that role. Let me tell you what I mean by that. The most important thing that you can impart to your child is what it means to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. That is the single most important thing that you can impart to a child. That means you, by your life, model what it means to be honorable, what it means to be like the Lord, who is full of honor and glory. That we spend time every day with him. Reading his word and in prayer. And our children know that about us. There's a holiness about our lives. And this is true of everyone that we would be a witness to, by the way. That worship is a part of our lives because we want to worship him. That he's central. And see, where parents begin to advocate or abdicate their role in terms of really helping children to understand this whole notion and idea of honor is when they put other aspects of their lives ahead of the Lord and, if you will, they take children with them. That fun and entertainment become more important. That things for them, instead of spending time with them, in a significant way, in a way that reflects our relationship with the Lord. That's the key. It's that quality time. Yes, you can have quality time on vacation, and you can have quality time doing various activities with your kids, but the most important quality time is our relationship with the Lord. See, we send the wrong message to our kids when we let everything else in our life crowd that out. And I'm not just talking about worship on Sunday. That's part of it. I'm talking about daily time with him. Daily time as a family. You know, it's amazing in our culture how the media like Beavis and Butthead or South Park portray parents compared to children. And see, the problem is, is when we allow our children to invest more time in television and video games than they do as quality time with parents and time with the Lord. There's a message that's permeating their minds and their hearts, the values that they observe. That I know what's best for my life. And that's not the case. Parents need to stop trying to be their children's friends. And they need to be parents. They need to take the role that God the Father takes with us. And allow that role with your children to evolve. I mean, I love something I read years ago, and I've actually shared this with a number of you. 
that there's four stages of parenting, commander, coach, consultant, and counselor. Commander, coach, consultant, and counselor. That that's why God says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And when they followed him out into the wilderness, they went to Mount Sinai and God gave them the commandments. The first role of a parent is to command. You don't negotiate with a two-year-old because their favorite word is no. This is not about reasoning because two-year-olds and three-year-olds can't reason yet. They don't get concepts. Do you get that? And that's why it's important to understand that you are the commander first. And then secondly, you're the coach. As they evolve middle school, high school, you begin to coach them. While they're still teachable and you're trying to impart the way they should, you know, if you will, play the game of life. And the thing is, you can always pull them out of the game. Grounding them. So your role's changed. And then when they go off to college, you become the consultant because they're in and out of your life like a consultant is in and out of the life of the business or the life of a person. And so you become the consultant. And when they're in college, if they run into problems, they're the ones who reap the consequences, just like a business reaps the consequences. Like when my son Daniel was off to college and got arrested, he was in jail. And he had to ask the consultant to come and help him. (laughs) And he eventually paid the consultant for being in jail because the consultant had to lend him money. And then you become the counselor, which is the role that I'm in now with my grown children who have spouses and a couple of them have children. You become the counselor. I want you to think about something. Think about the prodigal son story. The prodigal son story is the prodigal son says to the father, I want my inheritance now. In other words, I want you out of my life. I want you dead. You're dead to me. So then he goes off and he lives this riotous living. The father doesn't chase after him. The father lets him come back. He's in the counselor role. And when the son comes back, he says, I'm not worthy of being your son anymore. He's saying, I want you to begin to command me again. And what does the father do? He doesn't allow him to go back to that role. Because he's his counselor. What's the Holy Spirit called? The Holy Counselor. That's one of the words, parakletos, paraclete, that's what it means. And so we need to understand that God plays all of those roles in our lives. All of them. But it begins with commander. That we need to understand that because he loves us and knows what's best for us, 
Because we're like babes when we come to him. That we need to understand what it means to obey him. And then we need to impart that to our children. And part of the reason that we have an authority problem today is because people aren't leading. They're not leading their children. We need to be the authority for the young people. We need to respect authority. If we model disrespect, the kids pick that up. You may not agree with authority, but you can still respect authority. See, and the problem is, is that kids, when we abdicate being the authority in their lives, because counselors will still tell you, psychologists, psychiatrists, that the parent is the number one influencer. But when we abdicate that role, that's when they turn to their peers. That's when they turn to the culture. Because we've abdicated that role. So we need to be commander first and then slide into the other rules. And we need to be the authority. Why? Not because we're so great, but because it's God's authority. He's placed us as parents. It's God's authority because we're looking to him, his word, as our authority. Not the world, not the culture. You know, when I see parents, and I've seen parents, by the way, who become enablers to their kids when they're teenagers. And they get them, they buy them alcohol. They don't see promiscuity as a big problem. They're abdicating their role. And it doesn't matter what you've done in your life because what you do is say, this is God's way. I failed, or I fail, and I need forgiveness. We're not perfect parents. God is the perfect father. We're not the perfect parents. And so we need to understand what it is to be the authority, to model that God is our father. We say it, our father. Hallowed be your name. We treat him with respect. We honor him. We see him as our authority. And then we model that to our children. When parents say, do as I say, not as I do, what are they doing? They're abdicating being parents. Because there's no consistency to their life. A holiness and integrity to their life. And kids begin to question. And that's why it's important for us first to love the Lord. You know, another way to think about it is, it's the family name. We're Christians. If we believe Jesus is our Savior and our Lord, we're Christians. If we believe we, that he has saved us from our sin, it means we recognize that we're sinners and we fail and we need help and we need forgiveness and we need guidance. And if we're saying he's our Lord, it means that we're going to obey him, we're going to seek him for that guidance and direction. And it's because he loves us so much, he died on a cross for us. That's the depth of love. And so we understand love to be sacrificial. We understand love to be a commitment, not a feeling. And we teach that to our children. 
and to their children. When you become a grandparent, you don't stop. You keep going. It's critical. It's critical to our children, their children. You know, some of you know my story, and I'm not going to go into it here, but my parents, when I was a teenager, both, I experienced a betrayal, significant betrayal. And I was really angry for a short period of time, and then I had to work on, look, they're still my parents. I still need to love them. I still need to respect them and honor them. And when I fail with my children, which we all do, to say I'm sorry, it's a teaching moment to teach them about God's way when we succeed, when we do well, when we're trying to guide them, and when we fail. That we understand this whole idea of forgiveness. That we understand this whole idea of repentance. That we understand coming back to the Father's love, to the Father's grace, which is what he is always offering us. And then we go back to our children, or they come back to us. That's family. That's family. It involves discipline. It involves discipline. First, my own discipline. That's why I'm called a disciple. It means that I learn what it means to be self-disciplined, to conform my life to the Lord's call on my life. Self-control is one of the fruit of the Spirit. And when we live a self-centered, self-absorbed life, which is one of the reasons why we aren't willing to be an influence to our children, we don't spend significant time with them in worship, possibly reading the scriptures and definitely praying together as a family. That we lose that. God calls us to be disciplined. And then scripture also says God disciplines those who he loves. Isn't that interesting? If we're his children, it makes sense. I mean, there's a scripture that says, spare the rod, spoil the child. In fact, there's another one, a variation on it that says, if you don't use the rod, you hate your child. Because you know what? If you don't discipline your child, that child most likely is heading towards destruction. It's as if hating them. That's why we hold our children accountable. We try to direct our children. We try to correct our children. You know what's interesting is when you go to other countries, what are called developing countries, used to be called third world countries, How children treat their parents with respect is amazing. And how the elderly are treated with almost a reverence. That they're considered wise and valuable to the family. What happens today? I've observed some families that basically it's like the prodigal son. They park them in a nursing home. They're just waiting for them to die so they can get their inheritance. I've seen it. 
I've watched children at various ages disrespect their parents without the parents doing anything about it. Have you ever watched the parent who said, one more time, you're going to get it, one more time. It's 20 times. You can just ask my children. I followed through. My dad followed through. Why? Because we have to model to our children discipline and balance it with forgiveness and love. It's not an either or, it's a both and. Until they become their own person. Until they become an independent adult. And then you pray. That you've established the relationship that they still want you in their lives. To be an influence. To impart wisdom. And that's what I see in other cultures. Is parents stay connected. Grandparents stayed connected. They don't have the resources we have. So they don't have the entertainment and the fun and the doing and the constant TV and the video games. They have time for each other. They have time for the Lord. Sometimes we lament about what's going on in our culture and our society because there seems to be slipping morally and also a sense of disrespect and and not trusting, not regarding authority. Where it begins is every individual in their relationship with the Lord. It starts there. That when you acknowledge God as your Father, and that you love Him with the whole of your being, and then you take that into your marriage, that when you say, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, You mean it. This is a commitment. That's love. It's the kind of love that Jesus showed on the cross. Sacrificial love. And then when you've got the marriage, you take that to the children. And then as a family, you begin to impact the people around you. You hope. It's a trickle-down effect. To the Lord to the individual, to the marriage, to the children, to the community. The honoring begins with our honoring him. To learn of love from Jesus Christ on the cross. To allow him to first be our commander and then to be our counselor throughout the rest of our lives. Relying on the power and the direction of the Holy Spirit. And we do this one person at a time, one family at a time. Let's pray. There's a verse at the end of the book of Judges. There was no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. 
Lord God, we call you Father, but you're also our King. Help us to see the depth of your love as our parent, as well as our Savior and our Lord. To seek you for what it means to love our neighbors ourselves. To seek you to learn what it means to be holy and strong. That our love understands respect that our love understands obedience and that we are able through our modeling and through our witness to help our children and our children's children not to do whatever they want not to do as the culture calls but to know you as Savior and Lord and to seek to follow you as Lord as a disciple as a child of God because we believe. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.